Hezbollah press office is not easy to find. My taxi driver picks me up at my mother's house in the wealthy Christian neighborhood of Fanar, about 15 minutes outside of Beirut proper. My boyfriend Jeremy, who constantly frets about me thousands of miles away in New York, made me promise to hire an armed driver who could throw down if necessary. Jeremy's Orthodox Jewish background keeps him away from Lebanon. Despite my descriptions of the hipster neighborhood of Marm Chayel, or the lavish beach parties featuring gorgeous Lebanese women squeezed into tiny bits of cloth, as far as he's concerned, the country might as well be Somalia. I am of the opinion that the last thing I need on a trip to Dahe, the Shia neighborhood in South Beirut and Hezbollah's primary stronghold in the city, is a shady-looking driver-slash-bodyguard packing a weapon. I assured him I would look for one, but I take taxis most everywhere. After all, Beirut is hardly an active war zone. Yet. This particular driver, named Antoine, seems jittery as we pass a Hezbollah checkpoint. Given the Islamic State's series of bombings and attacks on Hezbollah over the past couple of years, his quavering under the steely gazes of the young men peering into each car is understandable. Besides, even in March 2014, 23 years after the civil war between Lebanon's opposing sects ended, many Christians still dislike venturing into Dahi. During one of her customary interrogations this morning, my mother, who is Maronite, had a minor shit fit when she learned I was planning to come here, even in broad daylight. My overall policy with her has always been do first, apologize later. I like to avoid her anxious diatribes whenever possible. Always the detective, though, she often manages to elicit information from me, and I had to fend her off before jumping into Antoine's car. Most people, at least most Americans, might be surprised to discover that Hezbollah has a press office. That's because most Americans don't fully grasp the concept that a group on the State Department's list of terrorist organizations is also the most influential political party in Lebanon. Its political power is exponentially strengthened by the fact that Hezbollah happens to be the country's most fearsome militia, dedicated, according to them, to resisting Israeli military designs on the tiny, war-weary nation. The group is armed to the teeth thanks to the patronage of Iran and Syria, and its military power outstrips that of the Lebanese army. In recent years, Gulf nations such as Saudi Arabia have tried to combat Hezbollah's military superiority by making extravagant donations to the army, another move in the proxy war between Sunni and Shia that joins the long list of proxy wars playing out in Lebanon since before the civil war. In any case, the Hezbollah press office is a logical place to start my investigation into the circumstances of my father's kidnapping. I've always been told that the Islamic Jihad organization, the group that claimed responsibility for his captivity, was just another one of Hezbollah's many faces. According to the U.S. government narrative, the Islamic Jihad's acts of terror during the war, including bombings of the U.S. embassy and marine barracks, as well as the kidnapping of Western hostages, should be laid squarely at Hezbollah's feet. If I want to understand the context of my father's kidnapping, who better to approach than the people charged with taking him? I know the chances of Hezbollah officials agreeing to speak with me are slim, but I also know Hezbollah has tried hard to escape the accusations of terrorism that have dogged it since the war. Following his release, my father actually interviewed Hassan Nasrallah, 
Hezbollah's infamous secretary general for CNN. If Nasrallah himself spoke to my dad, perhaps someone from the group will give me a statement, even a vague one. Now Antoine and I are driving around Dahia in circles, stopping every five feet or so to ask passersby for directions to an address for the office I have found online. I use quotation marks because, like most addresses in Lebanon, it basically consists of instructions that read something like, the big white building by the Dikane grocery on the main street. The passersby are less than obliging. Perhaps they don't know what to make of a nervous Christian taxi driver and his foreign-looking female passenger. In any case, most of them suspiciously deny knowing the whereabouts of the building, and some just shake their heads and keep walking. By some miracle, when asked where the mukama, resistance, meets with Sahafiyin, journalists, one of them points us in the right direction, which, of course, bears no resemblance to the address I have written in my notebook. 